The Orthodox Church is above all a Eucharistic Church. Of course, the other word for Eucharist is communion, partaking of the body and blood of Christ. Communion means joining together, and Eucharist means thanksgiving. These two ideas are interrelated and point to a larger truth. When we come together as the body of Christ, we pray, we rejoice, and we mystically enter into the heavenly kingdom. The entire cycle of our church's feasts is focused on this one destination. We participate in the reality of the story of salvation through this cycle and through this living out of the, the economy of salvation and also seeing the, the saints and the different events in the life of Christ as examples for our life, we slowly by slowly begin to see that actually the purpose of life is worship and communion because the God we worship is communion. And the gospel message is the announcement of what God has done for our salvation. One might note that the main agent and focus of the Bible is actually God, not necessarily man. Uh, God has done all these things for man, and he's the primary actor. So whether we talk about the Old Testament, like God liberating the Jews from uh, Egypt and from the tyranny of Pharaoh, uh, that's saving action. That's good news for that time. But for us as Christians, of course, the core of the good news is what God had done in Christ and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we seek to uh, celebrate in church in the various feasts that we have. The events of Christ's life and of his mother, the Theotokos, are important stops that we make as we progress on this journey to the heavenly kingdom. The celebration of Christ's resurrection Easter in the West, or Pascha in the East, is the Feast of Feasts. It stands above all other celebrations as the crowning moment of all history, when God fulfilled His plan, broke the bonds of sin and death, and ushered in His kingdom. As the Church developed, it came to embrace twelve additional events that were significant in the life of Christ. Seven of them are associated with Christ Himself, and the remaining five are associated with the Theotokos. These twelve feasts are universally recognized as the major celebrations of the Orthodox Church year. The twelve major feasts of Christ and the Theotokos are the Nativity of the Theotokos, observed on the 8th of September, celebrating the birth of the Theotokos to Joachim and Anna, the Elevation of the Cross, observed on the 14th of September, celebrating the rediscovery of the original cross on which Christ was crucified. The entrance of the Theotokos into the temple, observed the 21st of November, celebrating the dedication of the Theotokos to the temple. The Nativity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or Christmas, observed the 25th of December, celebrating the birth of Jesus. Theophany or Epiphany, observed on the 6th of January, celebrating the baptism of Jesus Christ, his blessing of the water, and his manifestation as the second person of the Trinity. The presentation of our Lord in the temple, observed on the 2nd of February, celebrating Christ's presentation as an infant in the temple by the Theotokos and Joseph. The Annunciation of the Theotokos, 
observed on March 25th, celebrating Gabriel's announcement to the Theotokos that she would conceive the Christ and her acceptance of this call. The entry into Jerusalem, or Palm Sunday, observed on the Sunday before Pascha, celebrating Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he was hailed as the King of Israel, the Messiah. A week after Palm Sunday comes Pascha, the most important and glorious of the Church's feasts. The twelve feasts we celebrate and examine in this presentation are only important because they lead to or result from this most wonderful event. Forty days after Pascha comes the Ascension, celebrating Christ's triumphal return to heaven following his resurrection. Pentecost, held fifty days after Pascha, celebrating the Holy Spirit's descent and anointing of the apostles and disciples of Christ. The Transfiguration of our Lord, observed on the 6th of August, celebrating Christ's transfiguration as witnessed by Peter, James, and John. And the Dormition of the Theotokos, observed on the 15th of August, celebrating the falling asleep of the Theotokos. Most of the twelve great feasts are fixed in the calendar year. But, of course, everything that relates to Pascha shifts. And if you go all the way back to the three weeks before Lent and then all the way forward to Pentecost and All Saints, it's almost 18 or 19 weeks of the year that are centered around Pascha. And because it shifts every year, I've come to think of all the feasts associated as part of a giant chandelier, the polyeleon that they use in the cathedrals. And at certain points in the services, they will... They will come in the church and they will move, shake those chandeliers and they move. They're all lit and they begin to sway. And as the light plays over the church, it's a beautiful thing. And Pascha is the center of that polyeleon for, the, for the, our sense of time. And it just swings every year forward and back. And it can happen, it can begin very, very early in February that we begin the pre-Lenten period. And it can go very, very late into June or so that we are still celebrating the Pentecostadion and the, the results of that. It's a beautiful thing to think in time of, of this celebration, you know, moving like this because it casts different lights and different shadows on the rest of the year. And how much time transpires between Christmas and the beginning. Some years will say, wow, it's so soon. We just had Christmas and now we're in the pre-Lent. And other years, it's, the distance is quite long and you linger more with the Christmas feeling. Each feast also has a period of preparation, called the forefeast, and celebration, called the afterfeast. During the forefeast, the faithful are expected to increase their fasting, prayers, and almsgiving. Conversely, this discipline is relaxed during the afterfeast period. This tradition extends the cycle of the Church's worship throughout our lives, providing an opportunity to take part every day. We are always preparing for something, and we are at the same time fulfilling something for which we prepared uh, before. So each feast is that uh, 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 glimpse or uh, a manifestation of, that, uh, of those, both of those aspects. Each feast moves us along toward preparing us for what is coming next and also fulfilling something uh, uh, in a very fundamental way. So there is that, that continuity between the feasts. 
Orthodox festal services follow a regular pattern. They begin with festal great vespers on the evening of the feast, because according to ancient practice, the liturgical day begins at sunset. During vespers, a procession of the icon of the feast will often take place. In the morning, the festal orthros is served, followed by the divine liturgy. Much of the beauty, meaning, and substance of the feast is contained in the festal vespers and orthros, so these should be part of the Orthodox Christian's practice. Often, on the day immediately following a feast called the synaxis, meaning aligned with, a person related to the feast is commemorated. For example, the synaxis of John the Baptist follows Theophany. The synaxis of Joachim and Anna follows the nativity of the Theotokos, and so on. The last day of the afterfeast is called the leave-taking, and many of the prayers and themes of the feast are repeated on that day. The Orthodox Church's rich treasury of liturgical books is the storehouse of the prayers and hymns for the entire church year. Of course, Scripture stands at the center of the church's liturgical life. The Gospel is the verbal icon of Christ, hence its central position, both on the altar as well as in the liturgy. Likewise, the epistles are the most important letters to teach and edify. Readings from the Old Testament and the Psalms are used throughout the daily services. Only the book of Revelation is never read in Orthodox worship services. The liturgical life of the church is exactly that, the life of the church. It is not the expression of the Bible, it is the expression of the life of the church. The Bible is a subset of liturgy. Liturgy is not a subset of scripture. So just because it's not in scripture, if it has sustained itself in the liturgical life of the church, in many ways it can be even more important than scripture. In the Orthodox tradition, uh, we don't have the Bible on the, on the altar. Uh, we, we don't kiss the Bible. We kiss the, the, the Evangelion, the Gospel book. And the Gospel book are just pieces of what is in Scripture, only what Jesus said and what Jesus did. We worship a person, not a book. And so therefore we pull out only the things that he said and did and we put that on, on, the, on, the, liturgy book, on the liturgy table. Um, again, is that in the Bible? No. And yet it is the life of the church. So as I said before, for us, the life of the church, which is, which is the expression of worship, is... Uh, in many ways, it supersedes the scriptures. The scriptures are a part of liturgy. Liturgy is not a part of scripture. There are three primary liturgical books that cover the annual cycle of services. The Lenten Triodion, the Book of the Three Odes, covers the period of preparation for Lent through Holy Saturday. The Pentecostarian covers the period from Pascha through the Sunday following Pentecost. These two books contain hymns and rubrics for the major fixed and variable feasts during that period. The Menaean, the month book, includes the various fixed feasts for each day of that month, including the major feasts. The Horologion, or Book of the Hours, contains an outline and fixed or unchanging parts of the nine daily offices, beginning at sundown, the start of the liturgical day. These are Vespers, Compline, Midnight Prayer, Matins, the Four Canonical Hours, that is, the first hour, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and the typica. 
The Octoikos, or the Book of Eight Tones, contains the hymns appointed for each day of the week according to an eight-week cycle of melodies. The Synaxarion consists of fourteen volumes of saints' lives, one for each month of the year, plus two additional volumes for the days of the Paschal cycle. Synaxarion readings are appointed for daily matins. The Typicon is a liturgical manual indicating the relation, interrelation, and order of precedence of hymns to be sung and services to be offered on feast days and during special liturgical seasons. It gives specific instructions regarding the order of hymns when a feast day falls on a Sunday versus a weekday, and so on. Orthros, sometimes also called Matins, is the traditional morning prayer service. It is normally followed by the liturgy on Sundays and other feast days. It begins with the reading of the well-known six psalms, the Hexapsalmos, and includes a gospel reading and hymns pertaining to the day. Orthros closes with the small doxology or the great doxology if the liturgy is to follow. Vespers is the traditional evening prayer service. Great Vespers, a slightly longer version, is held on the eve of feasts and Saturdays. Compline is the last service of the day. It is read after the Vespers of Great Feasts, referring to events in the life of our Lord. Apart from this longer and more formal type of Compline, there is a briefer form read by monastics in their own cells or collectively in the narthex of the Church. Liturgy is a deliverance from time passing in an uninterrupted or undistinct, un, undifferentiated way, just days passing with no meaning and no purpose. There's always some meaning. Every day in the church calendar is just packed with meaning. You can scarcely read all the saints' lives. There isn't even one book that contains every single saint's life for that day because there are Synaxarion, which is the name of those saint-life books, for Greece, for Cyprus, for Georgia, for Russia, for Alaska. There's too many saints, and then there's all kind of unforgotten saints. Every day is so packed with meaning, and that's precisely what our dreary worldly existence can take away from us. And every day also is packed with victory, and that too we can lose in our regular lives, but liturgy shows us every day is the victory of someone. Someone died and was perfected on this day. Some, someone... Some miracle happened on this day. There isn't, a, there isn't a day that goes by that isn't just beautiful and, and wonderful. The celebration of the communion of the body of Christ is the central act of the Church. It represents the culmination. Indeed, it defines the very existence of the Church herself. In and through this profoundly mysterious act, the believers are bound together as one. Although this service is often called the liturgy, expressed as the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom in most cases, and the divine liturgy of St. Basil on certain special occasions, in reality it is the act of communion, the partaking of the mystical body and blood of Christ, that stands at the heart of every festal celebration. Every Sunday is the Lord's Day, a day for celebrating Christ's resurrection. The Eucharist is not simply a commemoration of his death, but the culmination of his work in giving himself for the life of the world. When we partake of communion, we experience our own Passover, our own Pascha, for that is what the word means, and enter into the kingdom. <laughs>